This is how we are most familiar with God. God in a box. And your box might be a different size, it might be a different shape, it might be a different shade. But we just put God in a box. That, that as we put him in a box, that, that we go based on our, our past experiences, based on our current biblical understanding, this is the box, we put him in a box. But God doesn't belong in a box. That he was never meant to fit into the confinements of a box. And so with this series, Out of the Box, what we're going to be doing is, is we're going to be unboxing God. What can we do? What can we see? How can we begin to understand more of who God is? But yet, even as we understand more, there's so much about God that, that we're just not going to understand on this side of eternity. But yet, we've got to take a look. We've got to take that dive into Scripture and understand and see who is God. Because, see, God doesn't belong in a box. Not, not in my box, not in your box, not in somebody else's box. That, that God is so much bigger than any box that any of us would try to confine Him to. That, that, think about this. Even God's Word, it, it's not the unabridged version of who God is. It still has some limitations of what it's sharing with us about who God is. But yet it gives us everything that God knows. This is what you need to know about me here in this lifetime. This is what you need to know in order to actually know me. And so we get a look at his word and we get to trust it. But when we look in God's word, God is so much bigger than what we can find. That, that he is so much more than what you and I, what we could ever fathom about who God is. I, I think that there are times that, that we want to ask a question about God. And, and maybe that question about God, maybe sometimes we ask it directly to him. Maybe sometimes we ask it to other people. I can think about that person that, that they just have this, this question and it's just so much anger and angst that they ask this and they ask this of somebody else and they say, what difference does God make? And, and, and when you've been let down, when you've been hurt and, and God didn't come through, it's, it's what difference does God make? Maybe we ask it not so much with anger but with disappointment. And when we ask it with disappointment, maybe we're willing to go to God himself and say, God, what difference do you make? That, that we've been disappointed, we've been let down, and we're like going, hey, God, okay, God, what difference do you make? And we ask that to him. Maybe we get really sincere. Because we see somebody else that they seem to have a faith that goes beyond anything that, that we've had or we've experienced. And so maybe we ask in a very sincere way, what difference do you see God making? Do, do we want what, what is it that you've experienced about God that you're seeing that he is actually making a distance, making a difference? And, and people could be very far from God and ask that question very sincerely. And people could be, I'm close to God, but I'm just feeling a little bit more distant than what I've been in the past. And so they genuinely ask this question. I think that we start asking this question 
whether it's directly to God, whether it's of others. I, I think that we ask this question, what difference does God make? I think we ask it more during the hardships and the troubles of life. That, that when we're going through life and, and somebody that we love, they are suddenly taken from us. They are gone. We're like going, well, what, what difference does God make? Especially if you looked at that person and said, but they love God. They're, they're a God-fearing person. So why, why would God take them? Why wouldn't God protect them? When, when somebody's going, hey, you know what? I want to get my life right with God, and, and, and I'm praying more. I'm getting in, my, getting in God's Word. I'm, I'm having what we call a quiet time, and that's time alone with God, and put away all the other distractions. And, and in the midst of that, just getting that started, all of a sudden you get the pink slip, and you don't have a job anymore. Well, what difference does God make? I mean, before I started doing all this, everything was fine. And now that I'm doing this, it seems like, okay, God, are, are you, do you actually make a difference in my life? That, that we ask these questions. When a natural catastrophe comes and, and thousands of people are harmed, we're like going, well, what, what difference does God make? That we ask this during these difficult times in life, and, and I think that, that our relationship with God, it, it gets complicated. And, and one of the things that within that complicated relationship, it, it, it seems taboo to ask of somebody else, what difference does God make? Especially if you're somebody that you're going, but I'm a Christ follower. If, you, if you're somebody, like you're here and you're going, hey, I'm just kind of Christ curious, I'm just kind of trying to figure things out. It, it's easy for somebody like that to ask this question, what difference does God make? But when you're somebody that you're going, hey, I'm supposed to have a relationship, I'm supposed to have more things figured out, it's like, that's taboo, I, I, can't, I can't offer that up, I can't, I can't begin to talk with other people about that, because that, that would make me a doubter, I, I don't want to be labeled as a, as a doubter. And so it is, it, it's this complicated thing. And so what, what do we do, how do we begin to understand who God is, and how can we genuinely question in a way that, that's appropriate so that we can be growing? What, what do people think of when they think of God? That, 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 that what, what, what's an image that, that just comes to mind when, when, when you begin to think of God? Because here in America, I, I think that for most of us, the, the image that comes to mind when we think of God is an old white guy with a beard. Google God and just look for some images that, that, that you would see images of an old white guy with a beard. That that's, it's, it's just what we begin to, to think and we've been conditioned to think and it's part of God putting God in a box that, that when we think of God, we just think of an old white guy with a beard. You know, it's interesting of when we start to really learn about God that, that many people, the timing of when they learn about God. I, I want to share with you what Karen Armstrong wrote in her book, The Case for God. She wrote, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at the same time that we were told about Santa Claus. That, 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 that's just the timing. We're young and, and we're learning about God, but yet we're learning about Santa. And God supposedly is around all the time and Santa comes around once a year. But, but other than that, you keep going to these guys because of what they can give you. 
And, and, and that's what, what, what we're learning. She went on and she said, but while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomena evolved and matured, our theology remains somewhat infantile. That, that if we're going to sum it up, to, to what Karen, what she was saying, is she was saying that, that we've grown, that, that we've matured, but our faith hasn't. That we've grown up, we're no longer a child, we've become adults, and we've grown in a lot of other areas of life, but we haven't grown in our faith. And when this happens, what we end up seeing is we see that many kids that grow up in church outgrow God. They outgrow the church. And as they've matured, Their faith hasn't. And they go, I don't know what the church has for me. I don't know what God has for me. Because of who they've tried to confine God to be in a box. And that childlike faith, it no longer fits in their adulthood. Now Jesus, some of you guys know this. Jesus said that that, that we need to have a childlike faith. And, and some of you guys go, but, but what, about, what about that? The childlike faith that Jesus is telling us that we need to have, this faith like a child, it, it's not the idea of just stay with a really immature faith and don't do anything to grow that. That's, that's not what he was saying. Well, let me make very clear what, what Jesus said when he was referring to that. You know what kids do so easily? Trust. That's what they do. That they trust until they see a reason that trust gets broken. That they, they, they trust so easily. And, and that's what Jesus was getting at. And he's saying, hey, we need to have faith like well, that we would trust God, that, that we would find it easy to trust him. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he's talking about having faith like a child. It's the trust side, this faith, this trust. But, but the maturity of our faith needs to go far beyond a childhood maturity of who God is. And I think that after taking a few steps away from God and or the church, this is another time that the question keeps running through our mind, what difference does God make? We step away, and we're, I, I don't see any, life's not any different from when I was at church than now that I'm not at church. Life's not any different when I was praying to God, now that I'm not praying to God. What difference does God make? And then some, Go from thinking, yes, there's a God, and and he loves me, and Jesus loves me, to they begin to think, there is no God. There's no God. And if there is a God, I don't need God. And, and, And we move along this path. So many move along this path. But see, if if there's no God. Then, then there are some significant problems. There are some significant issues if there is no God. I want us to just look at a short list of, of without God, there is no purpose. That, that if there's no God, then, then there is no purpose in life. That, you know, if there's no God, there's only one thing we're really left to aim for in life if there is no God. And unfortunately, there's people that believe in God that they're still aiming for this more than they are aiming for anything else. And what they end up aiming for is happiness. 
I'm just going to make life all about chasing happiness. And, and when we make life that, when we make that our purpose, we, we'll hurt them and we'll hurt them. But it's okay because you know what? I'm chasing my happiness. That's my purpose. That's what I'm here for. That without God, there is no purpose. Without God, there's no eternity. Without God, there's no eternity that life is. When your body quits, it's over, and it's just done, and that's one of the problems. If there's no God, then this is the only sense of life that there is. Without God, there is no hope. No hope. And what that leaves us with at best is chance. That we're left with chance and circumstance. That's what we're left with at best if there is no God. But see, with God, there is hope. That without God, there's no justice. And this one might be one that you might want to push back and go, okay, well, I, I still think there would be justice if there wasn't God. Well, this is where I'll push back to your pushback. We make justice our own belief. Well, I think this is what's right. And then this person over here says, well, I don't agree with that. And this is what I think is right. And we can't agree. But see, with God, there's justice because there is a standard of right and wrong. And it is his standard. And without God, there's no standard for justice. So there is no justice. And then there's the biggest one of them all. That when we look at this and say, without God, without God, there is no love. And that is the biggest one of them all. Because see, God is love. Don't take my word for it. We find that in God's word. So near the end of our Bible, near the end of our New Testament, that we have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, then we have Revelation. So right there, 1 John, I I want us to look at what John was writing. Chapter 4, we'll start in verse 7 says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is, and what's that word? Love. That's what he is, that God is love. And so without God, there is no love. Verse 9 God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him, through Jesus. And this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, We surely ought to love each other. And no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. That that when we love each other, people can begin to see there is God. Because God is love. But yet... We still put God in a box. That, that, that we want a God that we can like put away when, when we really don't want him. 
like we, we got some plans that he's not going to approve of, and we're planning, this is what we're going to, hey, hey, God, um, uh, I'm just going to put you over here. I'll be back in four days, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, just help somebody. I'll be, I'll be back in four days. And, and, and we want a God that, that we go, hey, I, I want to be able to pull you out whenever I need you because, because I've got something difficult. And so, God, I'm back. I, I need you. I know I said four, but it's only been two, and I'm sorry. But, and, and we want a God. And so when we look at this, that, that we have a problem, a difficulty in the way that, that we put God in a box and the way that we carry around this box. And sometimes it's just a pocket-sized box so that we can pull God out whenever we want him because we want God, but we want him on our terms. That's part of our God in a box, that we want God, but we want him on our terms. And it's not just a matter of timing of when we want God. It, it's how we want God. And it's not just a matter of how we want God, but it's also a matter of who we want God to be. We live in a time that spirituality is on the increase. While anything dealing with organized faith is on the decrease. Just think about that. That there are more people that, that are becoming spiritual. But at the same time, there are less people that are doing anything with organized faith. And, and one of the, the most basic pieces of an organized faith is, is trusting a manual that teaches about that faith. And so there are people that are going, hey, I'm spiritual, but I don't want to have anything to do with the Bible. That, that's too organized. That's, that, that's, that's too limiting. But we do. We, we live in this time, and it, it's, it's so baffling and, and confusing when we think about it. According to the Pew Research Center, there's this study that they completed in 2018. They did this study, and, and they studied in 2012, and then they compared it again five years later in 2017. And, and what they were doing is they, they, were, they were looking at people and seeing where they're at with this whole idea of spirituality. And what they have found out that in 2018, there's about a quarter of U.S. adults, I said specifically 27%, now say they think of themselves as, and this is how they brand themselves, this is how they talk about themselves, spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I wish that meant something good. Because see, at face value, it really should. See, at face value, it would be great if we would be spiritual, but we're not religious because we're about pursuing that relationship with Christ and not about just following the rules. That we understand the place of the rules, but yet we pursue relationship because that's what's being pursued to us from God. But that's not what they mean when they identify themselves as spiritual but not religious. What they mean by that is that, that, that I, I believe that there's a God, I believe there's a higher power, but I also just want to trust myself to figure out who he or she is and what he or she is like. And so I'm spiritual, yes, but I am not religious. And in a five-year period, that has jumped overall across all adults it has jumped 8% in just five years. The amount of people that identify themselves as spiritual but not religious. They break it down and they share with you from age groups. And let's just, let me share this with you briefly. That it's going to be from 2012, this is what it was, and now in 2017, this is what it is, over this five-year period. That those that are 18 to 29, 
there was 20% in that age group that said, I'm spiritual but not religious in 2012. In 2017, that has jumped to 29%. Nine more percent of them are going, yeah, I'm spiritual but just not religious. The next age group is 30 to 49. And it started as 20 as well. And it jumped to 30%. It jumped by 10%. 50 to age 64 was at 21%. And now it's at 29% that it grew by 8. Age 65 and older, it was at 14%. And now it is at 17%. That we live in a time that spirituality, it's on the increase. It's rising. But anything having to do with, with organized faith, that is on the decline. What it's telling us is people aren't rejecting God. In fact, we have more people believing in a God. That, that part is growing. But while more people are believing in God, a God, they are rejecting the God of the Bible. Yeah, that, that, that's not true. It, 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 what happens is that, that we end up judging God. When we start pushing him back and pushing him, it's because we've judged him. And you know what we've done when we've judged him? We've judged him and we've said, you know what, God, God you're, you're too confining. God, God you're, you're too controlling and, and, and we don't want a God that is controlling over our life. We, we look at it, sometimes we can read some of that Old Testament stuff, and we're like going, uh, God, you're too cruel. Some people don't even have to be stuck there. They're like reading the New Testament, and they're like going, so there's a God, and he only had one son, and he sent his son to be beaten and tortured. and That's too cruel. I, I, my God won't fit in that box. And so they reject the God of the Bible. But that's not the first time that God gets judged. Let's jump back to Genesis, this very first book in our Bible. This, this book, Genesis, it means beginnings is what it means. And, and so in this book that we get to find out what, what, what were things like, how, how did things begin? We're going to start in chapter 3. So it's not too far, creation has happened, and so, so we're beyond that. And in chapter 3, we get introduced to the serpent. And the serpent is Satan. So we get introduced. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest, which means wise. He was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, which would be Eve, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? This is how he begins. This is, we get introduced to him this way. And as we get introduced to him, what we discover is here's a guy who is very crafty. Because he asks, did God really say that you must not eat from any of the trees, any of the fruit from any judging God? But he's crafty. Because you know how he did it? He hid it in a question. But you know what he's doing when he judges them? He's actually making them more confining than he actually is. Because no, God did not say that you cannot eat 
from any of the fruit in the garden. And, and Eve, she, she, she picked up on, on this question. This question, that, that it, was this, it was this hidden judgment that, that he puts out there in this form of a question. So we begin to judge God in the form of a question. Did God really say that wives must submit to their husbands? Did, did, did God really say that, that marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman and that sex should be limited to that? Did God really say that? That we look at these and we question, that, did, did God really say that Jesus, he is the only, the only way to heaven, the only way to God? And it's a judgment hidden in the form of a question. And the created gets into trouble when we try to direct the creator. Because he is not for us to direct. And that we have to trust him. So no, God never said that you must not eat from any of the fruit from the trees in the garden. Verse 2. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And here is the first victory, score one, for Satan the serpent. Because now Eve is now guilty of embellishing the way Satan embellished. When he said, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit? And now Eve comes along and says, hey, God said, no, we just, when it comes to this tree in the middle of the garden, we're, we're not allowed to eat it or even touch it. And, and she, she puts this out there and, and focuses on that. Look at this. Verse 4, you won't die. Because it says, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And, and Satan goes, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. <laughs> you, you will still be able to stand. You'll still be breathing air. You are going to be fine. But see, Satan knew that God was talking about a spiritual death. Not a physical one. So here he is, crafty, deceiving again. Hey, you're, you're, you're not going to die. Verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And there's partial truth in here. And there's some that's not. That no, it's not going to make anybody like God. God doesn't know evil. God had not experienced firsthand what it's like to do something evil. Because God is pure. He's holy. He's set apart. And he's saying, oh, you're, you're going to be like God and you're going to know both good and evil. This, this word, this gnosko, this, this, it, it's, this, it's this word that's not just about a head knowledge. It, it's, it's about having an experience is what this word literally has to deal with, this experience. I grew up on the King James Bible, you know, with all the begats, you know. I grew up on that, thou's and these and that. And, and when you're reading the King James Bible, and, and it talked about somebody who had a sexual relationship with somebody else, they, they used the word no. That he had knowledge of her. He knew her. It's this experience kind of thing. And it's the same word being used 
here. That, that when Satan and what he's doing, what's it? hey, you're going to know both good and evil. And it's what he wanted all of us to know. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. And she saw that the tree was beautiful. And, and I have to tell you, this is just kind of will and just kind of wondering, purely opinion commentary here. But, but I have to wonder, did, did Eve, because of that instruction, hey, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Because of that instruction, and by the way, there was two trees, and we'll look at that in here in a moment. Did she go, you know, I don't even want to go near it then. I, I'm just going to stay away. And, and I wonder if she'd never even seen it because of the fact that she is now commenting on just how beautiful this tree is, that, that she saw that it was beautiful, that, that it was very tempting, it was very alluring. She saw this, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, because that's what she was sold on, that, that this idea is going to make you wiser. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. What they attempted to cover, they attempted to cover their shame by these fig leaves and couldn't accomplish it. And when God would come around, they, they still felt naked in front of him. And the reason they still feel, felt naked, because it had nothing to do with their exterior. It had everything to do with what had taken place on the inside. The shame was on the inside. It wasn't being naked. It was having a heart that was now exposed to what they had done called sin. And they couldn't cover that shame. Satan. He tricked Eve into believing something different than what God had previously said. So let's back up to Genesis chapter 2. We'll start in verse 9, jump to 15 and read a little bit more. But it says, The Lord God made all, all, of, <clears throat> made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Two different trees, right there in the middle of the garden. Verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die there's nothing in here that says if you touch or eat it's just if you eat this fruit you will surely die and that death is a spiritual death when sin comes into our life and separates us from god and jesus came because of that act that has caused every single one of us to be born with sin and he came to rescue us, to overcome this, and to give us new life. But see, with this life that, that we've been living, we have a bunch of advisors in our lives. Now, I'm not talking about that advisor that you pay an hourly rate to and get a nice little reclining couch that you sit on. 
I'm talking about just the people in your life, these advisors that are constantly giving us advice. And you know what kind of advice they give us? They give us advice like this. Hey, you only live once. It's, it's this go for it kind of life that, that you might have a dream and that dream might be something that, that isn't healthy for you and isn't healthy for your family. But, but hey, if that's your dream, hey, chase, chase your dreams. Go for it. See, this is the advice that they are giving us, that they give us this advice. And you know what they tell us? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. You know what Jesus had to say about your heart? He said, your heart is deceitful above all things. But we got advisors that are saying, hey, follow your heart. Let your heart tell you who God is. Because you can figure out, you don't need anything else. You can figure out who God is on your own. That we have these advisors in our life. But what, what if, what if we let God out of the box? Well, what if we took whatever shape we've got, whatever size we've got, whatever shade we've got, and we go, you know, I'm not going to confine you to that, God. I, I want you out of the box, and I want you to be who you actually are. What if we let God out of the box? What if we asked God to show us more of who he is? We're just going, you know, God, I... I don't know all of who you are, but I pray that, that you would show me more of who you are. That I, I just want to set you free to be who you are, God, and that, that we would do that. What if we gave God permission to convince us of who he actually is? What, what, what if we gave him that permission? That, that we wouldn't be confining anymore, but God, you've got permission. God, please Please show us who you, please show me, let, let me see more and more of who you really are, that you can convince me. We're, we're going to finish with a song today, and so I'm going to ask our band, they're, they're going to come out, and, and we're going we're to finish with a song. It's just going to kind of keep speaking to what we've been talking about. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about what happened in the garden. Because of what happened in the garden, there are things that, that we as humanity, we as society, that we know because of what happened in the garden. And these things that we know, we'd be so much better off in life if we didn't know them. You see, these things that we know that we have this intimate experience with, that kind of knowing, we now know anger in a way that we should have never known it we now know envy jealousy we know strife that we know deceit we know hurt we we know shame we know lust there are things that we know that god never really wanted us to know that the knowledge that god wants to keep us from is the knowledge that it never satisfies, that, that these knowing these things, that, that doesn't satisfy, that hurts. It inflicts pain, hardship, difficulty. And that's what God wanted to keep us from, keep us from knowing the painful hurt and harm of sin. That's why I said don't eat from this 
tree. So I want to leave you with a final challenge. And it's this. Are you willing to let God out of the box that you can find him?